changing our lives. We want to thank you for setting us free. We want to thank you that you've not left us as orphans, alone and abandoned, but you have sent your Holy Spirit among us to be our friend, to be our helper, to be our comforter. You have sent your Holy Spirit to teach us, to be with us, Lord, when we're out there in life. And Lord, we thank you that we are not forsaken. We thank you today, Lord Jesus, that you never leave us. You never forsake us. We're never alone. And Lord, we love the days that we're living in because we sense that you're near. We sense that you're with us. And Lord, for us, that is everything. That means everything to us. So today, as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would help me divide it correctly. I pray that you would help me to plant it into the heart of your people. Because these people are your people. No preacher gave his blood for them. No prophet, no apostle, no pastor has given his blood for you. There's only one person. His name is Jesus. There's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. The name of Jesus. Names come and go, friends, in every generation. They come and they go. You read your newspaper and one name is at the top one moment and then it's right down at the bottom. And history books are full of names. But there's only one name. One name in heaven by which men and women can be saved. No other name than the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that God has given him the name above all names, above every name in history. That at the name of Jesus, every name will bow. Whether it's names in heaven, whether it's names under the earth, and there's a lot of names under the earth, or names on the earth, every knee, every name will bow one day when Jesus splits the sky and returns for his people. I think we should give the Lord Jesus... A big, massive shout and praise the name of Jesus. The name that, that is more powerful than any devil. The name that can lift sickness off our lives. The name that can break fear. The name that can bring you out of the pit. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Your name is like honey to us. Your name is sweeter than every name. And we love your name, Jesus. And we never want to be ashamed of your name. Even when we're in situations that make us very afraid, even when we feel like running away, would you please help us, Holy Spirit, never to be ashamed of the name of Jesus. And sometimes there are situations where we, where we stay quiet and where we feel, Lord, very afraid. But please, Lord, 
in these days, Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to be bold, not angry, not obnoxious, but confident that we carry the name of Jesus into our lost, dying world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, before you sit down, let's applaud the Lord Jesus. Heaven applauds Him. Heaven rejoices. <laughs> oh, heaven explodes. I tell you now, it's one big party in heaven. As angels look at Jesus, as, as saints see him and adore him, read the book of Revelation. There's a lot of weird stuff in there. But one thing that you will see over and over again is as all of these weird creatures and elders and angels and saints of all ages see the beloved of God, they adore him. <laughs> they adore him. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus, friends. There really isn't. Amen. Fantastic. Well, I want to continue this morning just looking again at Luke chapter 4. Remember, um, the last few weeks we've been looking at Luke chapter 4. And it's all about when Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth. He turned up there in the synagogue and he began to tell the people that were in that place his mission for life. You know, there's a lot of books on leadership out there in the bookstores. There's a lot of books on achieving your goals, reaching your dreams, fulfilling your lives. But there's no better book to look for leadership. There's no better book to look for fulfilling your life and your destiny than the Bible. If you want to find great leadership, if you want to find how to achieve what God has destined you to live for, look no further than the pages of the Bible. Why entertain yourself? Why use the precious commodity of time that God has given you to read the interpretations of a man? Why not go just straight to the Word of God and get it direct, undiluted, in all of its strength, in all of its fullness? Why rely on the fallen interpretations of man on your TV or when you read in your books? Why not just go straight to the Bible and get a straight good shot of it? A good short to kickstart your life. There's no better place. I'm not saying it's wrong to read books. I've got an office full that are gathering dust. I thought my life depended on those books. You can come into my office now and look at the old ornament with me. The greatest place where you'll find direction and leadership and hope and help is in the Word of God. It's living. It's active. The Bible says regarding itself, the Word of God is living, active, 
It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's actually alive. It's alive. It's like, it's unlike any other book because it's been written and spoken by God. Jesus turns up in Nazareth, in the synagogue, and he takes words from the prophet Isaiah that had been spoken by Isaiah thousands of years before, and he begins to tell those in front of him what he had come to do. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And then he begins to list all of the things that he had come to do, all of the life situations that were ahead of him, all of the meetings with people that were out there that he was going to, he listed them, he opened the diary, and he made it plain before them. He was showing them the next three years of his life. And after it all, he said, today this is fulfilled in your midst. I'm just going to recount just some of the aspects of it, and then we'll get to what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us with this morning. He said, today this is fulfilled in your midst. They looked at him and they scratched their head and they said, no, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing closure to Isaiah's words and you're saying that you're anointed to deliver these words. You're saying that you've got power to break poverty. You're saying that you have got the ability to heal the brokenhearted, to reach and give liberty to the captives. You are saying that you can open the eyes of the blind we can't work this out. This is just Joseph's son. He's the kid that grew up in the place where we have grown up, Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. This is the environment that we've been conditioned by. This is the environment that we've grown up in. This is our expectation of life because we live here. We know what happens here. Nobody good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good has ever come out of Nazareth. And you're coming to us and saying that you're going to achieve this? You're going to do this good? Are you serious? You're just Joseph's son. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Mary was from Nazareth. So really, written over Jesus' life in their eyes was, hey, this is just the carpenter's kid. Nothing good is going to come out of him. That was their understanding and their expectation. And that was where they were at. This is Joseph's son. 40 days, 30 days before Jesus had come up out of the waters and suddenly the heavens had opened and he had received an identity from the Father, a revelation, a moment in time that Jesus opened his spirit to and, and he, was, he was changed. He, he received the revelation from the Father where the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus wasn't just the son of man. He was the son of God. And Jesus gets understanding of his heavenly calling. Jesus, at this moment, gets understanding of the Father's pleasure on his life. And he goes into the wilderness, and then suddenly, after the, the devil had attacked his, his identity, if you are the Son of God, on three occasions the devil just hit him hard with temptation and tried to pull that identity from him and tried to, to uh, distort the words that the Father had spoken over him. But Jesus 
came back at him with the word of God, walked through it, overcame him, and he lands back up in Nazareth, and he's standing before them, and he says, this is what I'm about. This is the people that I'm going to, and today it's fulfilled in your midst. It was in Nazareth that he did that, in a place where nothing good came out of. That was the label over this city. That was the expectation that these people had. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of the environment that we've grown up in, that we've been schooled in, that we've been educated by. Our whole expectation of life has been framed by that. Nothing good comes out of here. You know, our expectations are directly linked to our experiences. And therefore, if we have a good expectation about life, generally, our experiences somehow follow that expectation. If you have a good, healthy, strong expectation that something good is going to happen to you, generally, somehow, your experiences begin to take on the form of that expectation. So your life is good. Your life is strong. You, you, your well-being is formed not by the outer circumstances, but by that inner condition of a good expectation. That's what a good expectation does. But very often, sometimes what happens is life comes and beats us up. Anybody ever been beaten up by life? Look at me. You'll see somebody that's black and blue with life, inside and out. We've all been beaten up by life. So you're walking down the road of life, and you've got a great expectation. You're growing up as a teenager. You've got lots of dreams. You've got lots of hopes, lots of desires. And you go around the corner of life, suddenly there's a big, ugly circumstance, a, a crisis, and along it comes, and it meets you, and it smacks you over the head, and it's like getting hit across the head with a baseball bat. You're flat on your back on the floor. And through that bad experience, your expectation crumbles. So instead now of having a good expectation, a healthy expectation, whole well-being inside of something good is going to happen to you, suddenly that crumbles, that picture gets broken. And instead of having a good expectation, you begin to have a bad expectation. The thing about expectations is that they form and fashion our experiences. So when we have a low expectation of life, generally our whole experience of life begins to plummet down. It really does. You know, it's like the, it's like the attitude meter on the plane. The pilot is flying his plane. Now, if you're going to be a good pilot... You've got to keep the attitude meter above the horizon. Huh? If, you're, if, if the attitude meter begins to drop below the horizon, the oncoming mountain is going to be a problem, isn't it? It's simple, you know, simple uh, pilotry. Let's make a word up. If you keep the attitude meter of the plane above the oncoming horizon, the horizon will never be a problem. It's like that inside. Very often, we have a low expectation of life. 
We don't really think that anything good is going to come out of our life because we've got hard evidence to prove it. And the attitude of our life begins to go down. And then when the attitude of our life goes down and the expectations of our life goes down, guess what happens to our experiences? They go down too. They go down too. But the great thing, the great thing about Jesus is that he has come that we may have life and life more abundantly. We'll get to it in a minute. Yeah? Jesus goes into the temple in Nazareth and he stands up and he looks out. And what does he see? Why does he go to Nazareth? The f- one of the first places that he's ministering in. Why does he go there? I'll tell you why. Because nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. He didn't go there to shame them and criticize them. He went there, I believe, to help them. And he's standing there, he said, I'm anointed today. I have power today to deal with every level of poverty. He wasn't talking about money. There's a poverty that is far greater than having no money in the bank. There really is. There's an emotional poverty that is painfully real. A loneliness that is crippling. A depression and a fear that's like a dark dank pit that you can't get out of. Jesus said, listen, I've come today and I've got good news, good news for the poor. I'm going to preach good news to the poor. And he was talking about the power of a message that wasn't just in word, but was in deed. So that when he found somebody crippled by poor or blinded by poor or lamed, by poverty, sorry. When he found somebody crippled by poverty, lame by poverty, blind and impoverished, he came with a good message that would heal them and take them into another level of life. He said, I'm anointed to deal with poverty. I'm anointed to deal with the broken heart and the captive and the blind. I'm, I'm here to set them all at liberty. They looked at him because they couldn't, they couldn't rise beyond that broken, low expectation of nothing good comes out of here. They couldn't go beyond it. They couldn't believe what was in front of them. They couldn't get beyond the fact that this is Joseph's son. And they couldn't believe beyond all of the proof and the evidence of their experiences of life. They couldn't reach and believe what he was saying because they couldn't go with him. They rejected him. In fact, the Bible says that they put him out and they grabbed him and they went to actually throw him over a cliff. The one good person that came into a place where nothing good ever came out of The one good person that was bringing good news, that had the power to heal, that had the power to make hold of, uh, to make whole, they took hold of. And they tried to kill him. They were so impoverished by the experiences that they had gone through. The Bible says that he went to his own, you see. He'd grown up in that place. 
He'd grown up with that stigma and that label over his life as they had. And he went to them. He loved them. He says he went to his own. And his own rejected him. And his own tried to actually kill him. And his own abandoned him. And the Bible actually says that Jesus, believe it or not, it says that Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the one that can set free with a word. Jesus that can, with a word or or with his hand, raise the dead. And bring hope and help. The one who was God in the flesh before them could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. And you know, Jesus never went back to Nazareth. Because, not because he, he didn't want to, I believe. It wasn't because, you know, he had an attitude that said, you know what, they rejected me, they tried to chuck me off a cliff, I'm not going back there. Nothing to do with that. He just knew that they'd been so conditioned by that poor, bad expectation of life that really he had to leave them to themselves. And he had to leave them to work that out. What label is over your life? What label are you accepting? And this is a private question. This isn't something to discuss publicly. This in your heart. Is it a label of, do you know what, Dave? Nothing good will come out of here. Do you know I had that, I had that expectation. I can talk about this this morning because I've been there. I've been there, like probably many of us. I have been there. So I can talk about this from experience, not with some theory or formula or seven steps out of it. I'm telling you now, I have been here, and I've received help from the Lord. I I was on the edge of my bed, I've said it before, in Bayslag. Lonely, wanting to get married. Oh... I'm an happy man today. Happy. I'm a happy man today. The happiest man in the world. Wonderful wife. Wonderful children. That doesn't mean to say we don't have our ups and downs. But it's great when the Lord changes your life. Sat on the edge of my bed. And I said it three times. And do you know when you make a statement and you mean it? You put all of your heart energy into it. I said this three times. I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. And you know, in that moment, after that, I felt really bad. I felt guilty. I felt ashamed of what I had just said. And there was a little voice getting on my, on my case. You know that little whisper? You shouldn't have said that. Life is precious. God loves you and you know it. And you have just said to God and meant it, I hate my life. And that condemning voice came into that room. And I cried out to God, you see. I cried out to God in my need. And you know, whenever you cry out to God in your need, I promise you, he comes so quickly, so quickly because he loves you. 
He loves you. You don't have to dress up and put your robes on and kneel down on your, on your knees and get all funny and all religious. When you cry out to him with a desperate heart, he will hear your cry and he will come running and he will answer your cry. And I said, oh God, please give me a word. Give me a word in the Bible. I don't know where to turn. It's a big, thick book. But because it's a living book, it's not a novel or an autobiography. It's living, friends. It's living. Word of God is living. You know, going through the pages, looking at the index, looking at the maps. Oh, they are no good. They're not going to help me. And I'm going through, and I don't know. You know, when you, when you think you know the Bible, and you, you, know, you can quote the Bible and, and little verses, and then when crisis comes, when, when life hits what you believe, you're fumbling. All your favorite verses you've forgotten. All of the scriptures that you think you know, you're reciting backwards. And life is hitting you. Life is pressuring you. Life is saying, can you move the label off your life that I've put on it? Nothing good is going to come out of your life. Can you move that label? Well, the answer is no, in and of yourself. But God can move that label off your life, you see. He can. He can move that label off your life. When life says nothing good is coming out of this life, it's been through a divorce, it's done shameful things, it's addicted it's bound, it's lonely, it's fearful, it's depressed. Listen, welcome to the club. We're all a bunch of broken people. We're all a bunch of failures with the capital fur, right? With a big capital fur. But I'm telling you now, when God gets in on the scene, he can smash apart that label over your life where, that says nothing good can come out of it and he can change it to something good. Woo! Something good. He's awesome. Can you do anything with this label over your life, Dave? Nothing good is going to come out of this. I hate my life. That's right. You hate your life because life isn't good. Life, the, the choices that you've made and the influences that you've been exposed to has wrecked your life. Nothing good can come out of it. And yeah, that's right. The conclusion is right that you've come to. You hate your life because there's nothing good in it. And I'm fumbling through the scriptures. <laughs> crying my little eyes out. And then suddenly, have you, ever, have you ever done this in the Bible? Don't always do it. I went like that. I went like that. Like that. Like that. And you know, my eyes fell on these words, which shocked me, shocked me. The words of Jesus, blessed is he who hates his life. <laughs> Woohoo! Wait, it's living. The book is talking to me. Blessed is he who hates his life. Life. My God. You see how a negative moment can turn into a positive moment? Can you see how the lowest moment of your life can turn into the highest moment with God? The lowest moment of your life where you're saying, I hate my life. Nothing good has come out of my life. God can transform it. God can change it. In the hands of God, the lowest moment of your life 
can become the highest memory. I will never forget the moment in that bedroom where the book talked back. Hallelujah. He will take the most shameful act. He will take the, 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 the most darkest area of your life. And in his hands, he can take water and make it wine. He can take something common and make it rich. He's awesome. Woo! This is the God that we serve. The Holy Ghost is with us. He's for you. He's not a condemning voice. He's the living voice of God. Blessed is he who hates his life. For in hate, hating his life, he'll find my life. Holy Ghost says, Dave, you're at a wonderful moment. Don't despise it. Don't be ashamed about it. Because you're, you're leaving an old life that you hate. And this moment in your bedroom that nobody can see, that you're crying out to me about, this moment is a moment of change where you walk through the door into a brand new life, my life. Because only as you hate your life can you find his life. Only as you come to the end of your life does a new life begin. Only as you come to the point where you say, I'm fed up with this label that says nothing good will come out of here. I'm fed up with low expectation of life that, that, that continually brings me down into grinding hard experiences. I'm fed up of that. Only as you come to that point... Can you leave it all behind and say, Jesus, do you know what? I can't do life anymore. I've made a mess of it. Because I had control of my life, I hate it. Lord, I've made a mess of it. It's over to you. And he says, you know what? I've been waiting for the invitation. I'll take you by the hand. It's me and you now from here on in, son. You're going to have a good life, a glorious life. I'm not promising that it's always going to be easy. But I'm going to be with you and I'm never going to forsake you. You see, it's awesome. It's awesome. Jesus is real. A wonderful moment in my life where God helped me and God changed me. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's the spirit that Jesus, that Jesus was up against. Now, you know, when you look back in the beginning as to how God intended life to be, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, God overviews the whole of creation. He sees how he created the heavens and the earth and the seas and the fish and the birds and the trees and the plants and all of the wonderful things that he'd done. And at the end of it, he looks at man and woman and he sees them. And as he inspects every detail of what, uh, uh, of what he had created over six days, he looks and he makes this comment. Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed, it was very good. It was very good. If you want to know what your life should look like, if I want to know what my life should look like, it should be very good. Very good should be stamped over your life. Very good should be stamped over my life because that's what God intended it to be in the beginning. God did, didn't intend for that, that statement and that label of nothing good comes out of here to be stamped over any city, over any community, over any person. God only has good things for his people. God intended our lives to be very good. And yet, when we reject God 
And when we do it our way, and of course we do, come on, let's be honest. We, we, we do life our way. It goes from being very good, and it, it turns out to be nothing good. And it's sad. And, and, and it, 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 I believe it's heartbreaking for God when God sees somebody's life that, that he has intended to, to be very good and he sees it move and spiral down to a place of being nothing good, that breaks the heart of God. It really does. God grieves and longs for our lives to be very good, for our lives to resemble the original intention that he had. Maybe today. Your life has spiraled down to being nothing good. You say, well, Dave, I'm at a place of, that you're talking about where my life seems as if it's nothing good. Listen, there's a family here that can tell you about similar experiences just like that, where, where Jesus somehow comes into the nothing good areas of our lives and leads us on out of them into a place of being very good. You see, when you receive Christ and when Jesus comes into your heart, your life goes from that place of being nothing good and it comes into this place of being very good. Paul, in, in one of his letters to one church, he said, I'm confident of this one very thing. He who has begun a good work in me, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, I tell you something now, a good work begins in you. A good work, not a bad work. And sometimes, you know, there's preachers from platforms that want to highlight the bad work that we're involved with. No, Jesus, when he's at the center of your life, it's only ever a good work. Let's focus on the good work. Confident of this very thing as I go through life. I'm so confident, Paul said, that he who has begun a good work in me will perform it. He will make. This isn't just in word only. This is indeed, my friends. And yes, the experiences of life may have buffeted you. You may have gone through a divorce. Well, let me tell you, that is not going to define you. That label you're not going to have to live with because God is at work. He said to the Philippians, here we go. It is God who is at work within you both to will and to do what? His good pleasure. His good pleasure. It's God that works within us. Both to will and to do is good pleasure. Everything that God does is good. He created us very good. And we can be confident that he's at work within us doing a good work and he will complete it. And his good pleasure now is alive within us. No, a label of divorce is not going to define you. There's a new future for you and maybe a brand new husband and a brand new wife. Tell you, God is good. But in the process of it all, in the period of time that you go through, he helps you and pieces things back together for you so that the man that you're going to meet or the woman you're going to meet 
are going to be suited to you. And next time when the pressure's on or the situations come, you're going to walk through it and you're going to be strong and you're going to be successful. Maybe there can be things in our lives, private things that we're afraid to tell people of because we're ashamed of them. We're ashamed of these things. There can be a myriad of things, multiple things that, that we do. And we think, oh, do you know what? I can't tell people at church. Well, God knows them. And I'm not saying get up on the platform and confess everything to everyone. That can be unwise. But there can be trusted people that can help us, that will hold confidence. Your expectation, God says, is one. He wants to give us an expectation that is very good. Because that's how he's created us. We can be confident of this very thing, that it's God who is working within us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Yeah, nothing good might have come out of where we were in, but now because we're in Christ, we can have an expectation that is very good because of what he's done and what he's achieved for our lives. I'll ask the guys to come up. We're going to finish here. And we'll continue it maybe next week. Do you know what? I used to have a remote control car. And it was a very fast one. It's one of those petrol ones that made a lot of noise when you started it up. And uh, me and Daniel used to go, I mean, you had to run this thing on a sports field. It was so fast. It could get up to 80 miles an hour. It was really, really fast. And, uh, you know, I wasn't very good at controlling it. When I had the controls in my hand, the car would be going up the hills and doing jumps and running into trees. And all it, it, the direction of the car would be all over the place. And then Daniel would take the controls of the car. And the car would just have flow and rhythm and good direction. He'd be able to keep it straight. And it would go where he intended it to go. You see, the direction of the car was determined by the hands who, were ho- who was holding it. So if I was holding the little controller, the direction of the car was determined by my uns- unskilled mind, by my uncoordinated hands. The direction of the car was determined by me because I was holding the controls. But when Daniel had the controls, the direction of the car completely changed. His hands were coordinated. His little mind knew what to do and could make good judgments. Do you know it's like that with our lives? When we hold the remote, we make all kinds of wrong decisions, all kinds of 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 mistakes and the car gets you know run up against a wall or you know flies into a tree or flies off a bank because our way of judging life is uncoordinated and we just move from moment to moment to moment to moment and we just make series of mistakes and choices and one mistake leads to another mistake it's an uncoordinated life because it's an out of control 
It's an out-of-control mind, an out-of-control attitude that directs and holds the controls. But when you place the controls of your life back into the hands of your maker, when you place the controls of your life into the caring, loving hands of Jesus, he's only got good for you. Jeremiah in the Old Testament talking on God's behalf says, do you know what? I know the plans that I have got for you. They're good plans, great plans, plans to give you hope and a future. Not uncoordinated, broken plans, not plans that will, you know, make you suspicious and look over your shoulder every moment. You can be secure. Hand me the controls. Hand me the controls because I'll coordinate your life so that you go on a journey where you'll get peace, where you won't be ashamed. I'll take you on a journey where where you're built up and not broken down. I'll take you on a journey where there's no collision. My word will be a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. Hand me the controls. And you know what? When you just hand him the controls of your life, He gives you peace immediately. It doesn't mean to say that life is easy, but he helps you to navigate through. There's a little verse in the Bible that says, a wise man sees evil afar off and avoids it. It's just like that with God. The wisest of the wise, holding the controls of your life, looking, looking, looking down the path and the road of your future, saying that there's, seeing that there's a a crisis there and an issue there and he just navigates you on through. He brings peace to every storm. Today, there's people in this place that have handed him the controls and they could tell you many, many stories of how he's navigated them on through the troubles and the crises and the problems. Listen, do you really want to hold the controls of your life. On that night when I was in my bedroom and I said, I hate my life, it was another moment in my life where I said, you know what, God? Maybe I've taken hold of the control again. And maybe I need to hand it back to you. I hand it back to him. And he says, yeah, when, when you've got the controls, Dave, you will hate life. But when I've got the controls... Come on, on on over, son, because we're doing this life together and it's going to be fulfilled, it's going to be blessed, and it's going to be whole. What Jesus was saying on that day when he was in Nazareth was, hey, church, I've come to bring good news to you. You don't have to have a poor, broken expectation of life that you visualize God as critical and hard and distant. You don't have to have a poor expectation of life. You don't have to be emotionally broken anymore. You don't have to be socially excluded or physically impaired anymore. Hand me the controls. I'm anointed. This is what I do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Just recognize it because the poverty is going to go. 
The broken heart is going to become whole. The captive are going to become free. The blind are going to see. I'm just telling you, I'm just opening the diary for you to know firsthand because it's my hometown. I just want to tell you the kingdom of God is here in visible form. It's in me, Jesus said. I'm going to walk down the streets and the lepers are going to be whole. I'm going to walk down the streets and the blind are going to see. I'm going to walk down the streets and every prisoner is going to come out running free. New expectation. New expectation. Brand new experience. And it happened all over the place. And it didn't stop when Jesus ascended into heaven. He gave his disciples and he said, that, he said to his disciples and he says to you and I today to carry this good news. He said, as the Father sent me, he sent me to the poor. He sent me to the brokenhearted. He sent me to the captive and to the blind and to those that were bound. He sent me. The Father sent me. I didn't send myself. The Father sent me. Not to preach messages just in my hometown in Nazareth. The Father has sent me. So I am sending you. Peter, John, Andrew and the rest of you, get out there. And change the the, the low expectation of those who are bound by poverty. Get out there, boys, because there's still broken-hearted people in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. In fact, when you finish there, the Holy Ghost will take you all over the world. Because all over this world, there are broken people. Lost humanity. His heart longs for them. And he says, boys... As the Father sent me, I commission you and I send you. Go into your world. Get out there in your job, in your office, in your university, in your school, wherever you are. There's good news in you. You don't have to quote the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Maybe just a kind word. Do you know what? You can do it. Do you know, a lady came to me this week and said I'm really lonely I'm lonely I said well why don't you come to my home there's 300 friends that want to meet you you see that's the gospel that's good news there's 300 friends in my home that would love to meet you That would love to involve their life in your life. Love to embrace you. And whoever you bring in here, we're going to make it a place of embrace, aren't we? The poor are going to come. The brokenhearted are going to come. The prisoner, the captive, the blind, they're all going to come into this place. Because as Jesus was sent by the Father, so we have been sent to change that impoverished expectation that people have over their lives. Nothing good, nothing good, nothing good, nothing good. And the world will agree with them. That's right, nothing good, nothing good. That's what you've done. That's what you can expect. That's the equation. You do this, when you do this, it equals that. Nothing good. That's your future. No, we are the ambassadors of the king. Not nothing good, very good very good. Your future's going to change. Why? Because I'm in it and I know Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we thank you today for the power of your word.
we thank you today that we've all come from a place of life that says there's nothing good can come out of here but you came and you made us whole and you took us on and you changed that statement that hung over our lives nothing good to very good you're inside us and we love you we thank you that we can be confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in us will certainly perform it you definitely will perform it every detail the big and the small everything will be completed and everything will be perfect because we are yours and we thank you we thank you for that we know that it is God that works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure we thank you that the good pleasure of God is working inside of inside of us I pray for every person under the sound of my voice Maybe today you're here for the first time. And right now, you say, Dave, do you know what? I want to hand over the controls of my life to Jesus. Great choice, my friend. I did it in a tent at 15 years of age. I said, Jesus, here we go. This life has been crashed. It's collided into everything. It's crashed and burnt. Have the controls. Maybe right now you want to do that. I'm going to pray with you. If you would like to do that, if you would like me to pray with you, I want you quickly just to slip your hand up. I'll see it. And then you can put it down. That's it, mate. Well done. Excellent. And there's a gentleman at the back. That's it. Just keep your hand up and we'll give you a Bible. Well done, Paul. That's it. Is there anybody else? That's it, mate. Well done. Next to Jason there. Well done, buddy. Anybody else? Great, Daniel. Come on, mate. I'm telling you. Thank you. Let's pray this together as a church. Well done, Barry. Let's, let's, let's pray this together as a church this morning out loud. Jesus, we're handing over the controls of our life. Thank you that you hold these controls with love and care and you're going to direct us into the plans that you have for us good plans great plans we thank you that we are your children and you will never leave us you will never forsake us we are yours now church let's give him A big giant shout, a big giant praise.